0: Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisola.
1: Hi'm Hi, Phil Carmody. welcome to business is Unusual. I'm really delighted to have you uh back to chat with me today. Thank you so much
0: I'm so glad to be here. thank you
1: so what is the last artist you got lost in?
0: The musical artist
1: if, if that's what comes to mind yeah <laughs>
0: well, I asked the question because like you know i i uh there's there's the visual artistry that I love, so it's like the the uh, God, it's funny. I, I there, there's Salvador Dali is still my absolute favorite in terms of just the the visual stunningness of blending of the surrealism, and so like that's what we usually came to m- mind. Then I went to the Van Gogh experience in New York City, and that was like how we brought Van Gogh to life in a digital era, which was super fun. And then, of course, uh, more recently, I've been. Enjoying Peloton, and they've been doing all kinds of really cool music tracks, which has been like not just the physical, like the physical workouts connected to music. So it's like when you when you hit ask that question, like my brain exploded with answers. (laughs) I'm sure which to go to.
1: That's fantastic. I think art is such an important part of life. So I love that you have too many choices.
0: Exactly. That's exactly right. All Mm. right.
1: Would you want to share a musical artist to get you going right now, or?
0: Yeah, sure. So, so you know, I you know what's really funny for me is when I have been listening. When I'm in a place where I just need to have a big pick me up, I love Taylor Swift, and there's like so much music from her that it just gets me absolutely vibing. And what I love is the diversity of her music, so I can pick anything from her, and I'm (laughs) usually pretty happy. You know, ready to go. There's this. There's just so much depth and so much stuff that when I'm just looking to dance. Or whether I'm looking to focus, like there's a lot of options there.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, she's, she's got a good beat. So uh, will you tell folks a little bit about uh, your business, where you're up to? Um,
0: yeah, so, so I am the chief coaching officer for Positive Intelligence, which means I have supported over 55,000 coaches going through mental fitness training. And then, support several thousand of those coaches who continue to do in depth work bringing mental fitness to their clients uh and so that's my my main focus. I also have my own uh one on one coaching business, and uh I occasionally do keynote speeches as well, so it's a little a little bit of a lot of things
1: <laughs> yeah well and what so I met Bill in a couple of different ways i I, I actually became involved in positive intelligence, and I think it's an amazing program. And also, we were both on LinkedIn, and and he was commenting about a panel he was on for a documentary and talking about uh, trans euphoria, I think it was, gender euphoria. And I, I love that at someone, as someone who identifies as a white, cis male human in the business world, that you are stepping out so positively to support a community that has so much to offer and yet is often not just left out, but left behind.
0: Yeah, the, 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 the concept in the industry, there's the gender dysphoria, which was one of the first terms that I came across with my trans daughter, Violet, you know, talking about somebody who is experiencing a different gender than they were born with. And often the medical term is dysphoria. But what I thought was euphoria is a much better term of celebrating that which is like inside of me at a spiritual level. I am euphoric about who I truly am, even if my physical body doesn't represent what that experience is. And so I just love that term. It just got me super excited. And I wanted to share it because it was some, it was a new term that I had learned and I wanted to be out there to, 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 you know, as we talk about advocacy and supporting transgender people and rights and all those things. I just want to make sure that like, that's part of the conversation.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I feel like it's having done, or, oh, you know, f- many, many years of LGBTQ activism and community work, the the trauma drama, as we like to talk about, is often taken center stage. And we need a lot more experiences, examples, and I would say assumptions of the ways in which it's, it's not an identity that's the problem. It's the way other people will treat you. It's the assumptions that people make. It's the way the society and communities can leave you out, leave you behind. But the identity itself, there's nothing wrong there. We, we're fine. No,
0: it's not. But I'll say as a as a father of a transgender child, you know, one of the things I'm kind of feeling my way through is this experience that I'm living vicariously through my kid. Because I've never experienced firsthand what it's like to be transgender, Like, I'll, there's so much that I, I either make up in my mind or I think about what society says or doesn't say. And so there's all these influences. And what is so important to me is what is my daughter's experience? And and the idea of when I think about my own saboteurs around this, it's like the negativity of judgment or controller, or it has to look a certain way or has to be a certain way or all those outside influences. And so this idea of gender euphoria was more of a celebration of the sage version of all this, which is to say What is my daughter's experience? What is her lived experience? And how can I support her in her journey? Which is a very positive reinforcement focus as opposed to, oh, my God, what's happening in the medical community? What's her safety about? Like, are there specific countries we have to be very careful of? And of course, there are. But like, you know, I don't want her life to be at risk, but I could spend my whole life worrying about her or I could spend the rest of my life celebrating her. And both are available to me.
1: Yeah. Thank you. That is a really powerful and I think important message uh, to share. I really appreciate that. And what I love, and I I I find this to be true of folks who are very passionate about what they do, is that so much of the business that you do, and your your business, you know, goals of dreams, I guess, are, are aligned sort of with a similar like personal experience and. Yes. It, I, I know that positive intelligence is one way that you express that, it, but there's something that I I have experienced of what you're doing that's a little bit unusual. It's, that's why I wanted you to be on business as unusual. Would you be willing to talk a little bit more in detail about how you see that, what what you see as unusual about what you do?
0: I, I would love some more context for you in terms of like the things you're calling out. There's a lot of unusual things that I do. <laughs> so right. I'm, be more specific. <laughs>
1: um, I think well so that that example that you encapsulated around the euphoria versus dysphoria. And and I wanna say also just for my listeners and also to to highlight it, what I see as a unique thing is there's a wholeness to it, right? Like it's not saying I'm just gonna focus on the good parts. You acknowledge there are challenges. You're not we're not trying to be unrealistic here. This is not toxic positivity. This right. is positive intelligence. And it's about saying that there's a a perspective and a way that we can engage that brings in more than just what we're afraid of or, you know, in terms That's of the right. saboteurs, if you're in a positive intelligence. Uh, but I know you have a broader scope than than being COO. So I wanted to make sure that you were able to bring in all the aspects that kind of, I mean, I can even step back and say, I, I know that you've said what success looks like to you? So, if you tell me, like, well, you're successful, whether it's with positive intelligence or your personal business or whatever, what does that look like in the world?
0: I love it. I love it. It's it's more of what I'm already up to. I know it's a strange question or sort of strange answer, but here's the thing: when I was 12 years old, I set out to be financially free, to have a wife, to have a family to be the CEO of my own company, like I had a whole list of things. And at that time I said, when I hit all these things, I will be happy and I will be like fulfilled. And then I hit all those things in 2015 and I was so miserable that I wanted to take my own life. So you think about that for a minute. It's like all these things that I put as conditions to my happiness, conditions to my wholeness, like I put all these things out there, they were totally arbitrary and then I achieved them all and I was miserable. And so what happened was I started to realize it's not about those things. Like I'm very happy that I'm I'm married for 23 years, I've got two beautiful children. I love that I'm I'm doing what I'm doing in the world. But I started to realize that the bigger arc of my purpose is about the the empowerment that I that I that I, that I uh, am able to give to others. And so my real big why here is I believe that coaches as an example here Coaches are have one of the most noble profession in the world because they're helping people think different about their lives and, and show up differently. And yet the average coach makes $53,000 a year, according to the ICF. And that's, you know, 109,000 uh, 109, coaches worldwide. So to me, that's wrong. And it's wrong because I don't think that these have to be mutually exclusive. I think you can be financially free and extremely well off while also doing incredible work in the world. And so my passion is to, to, to change that, to be personally responsible for moving that number up. And so to be personally responsible, what that means is helping coaches to become financially free. And the way I do that is by applying mental fitness, everything we're talking about, like what does it mean to be mentally fit, to one of the more difficult parts of a person's life, which is building and growing a business. That's when all the negativity shows up. It's like all the circumstances show up. It's like, oh my God, I can't do this because I can't ask for money. Or, you know, the the, the people that I'm I'm reaching out to can't afford my services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what ends up happening is I could teach anyone the blueprint of how to build a million-dollar business. That's not difficult. It's all out there. The information exists. You don't need me. You can go Google it yourself. There's lots of great paths there. But what I will tell you is it doesn't matter if you have the blueprint, if you don't have the resilience and specifically the mental fitness in order to be able to execute that blueprint. So for me, the combination, and that's where I really feel at purpose, is being able to help people not just understand the blueprint of how to be like, successful in your business, but how to have, be mentally fit while you're doing it and to see that as part of your growth. That if you're actually going for self-actualization, your business can be this beautiful vehicle by which you can self-actualize by leaning into what is possible.
1: Yeah, I feel that. I really feel that. I feel like so much business development is pitched as fixing something. And I I always tell the folks that I work with, I am not here to fix anything. I'm here to stand between you and the messaging that tells you there's a right way to do it and someone's going to sell it to you. And then when you feel grounded and aligned with you, your purpose and your dreams, then we can look at tactics, tools, You know, I'm not, I'm all for growth, expanding your comfort zone 100%. And I feel like trying to pretzel yourself into someone else's way of being is such a distraction, right?
0: Oh, and that's the thing. I don't want anyone else to be me. So, so, so what's interesting is taking this full circle back to the transgender conversation we were saying just a few minutes ago. I had this incredible experience where my daughter, and I'll, I'll go into the whole story here, but she basically told me that she wanted to be me. And it was one of those things that like it made me choke up and I was I was very emotional about it because I was like, if there's there's very few times in your life, I find as a parent that your kids are giving you feedback. So to have that level of feedback just really choked me up. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I cried and I was so happy and it was great. And then I took a step back and said, but Violet, I never want you to say that to me ever again because I don't want you to be me. I want you to be you. The world does not need another Bill Carmody, but they do need a Violet Carmody. And so what that means is you want to lean into the best version of yourself. And I take that into business too. It's like, yes, you can look at someone like Tony Robbins and say, God, this guy, man, made $5 billion. If I just do what he does, I will be as successful. Maybe, but here's the thing. Like you don't, we don't need another Tony Robbins. We don't need another Bill Carmody. We need every single human to be the best versions of themselves and showing up with all their humanity, with all their vulnerability, with all the things that make them who they are, because that's what the world needs. We don't need mirror copies. We, and so to your point, it's like there, there are success leaves clues. One of my favorite Tony Robbins sayings is mm-hmm. success leaves clues. And so you can look at what people are doing well and then say, what can I learn from that? But apply it to myself, my own journey. So I'm not trying to do what I, someone else is doing. I'm trying to learn from it and apply it to what I know.
1: Yeah. No, it's a, I think that's really wise. And make it your own and yes. find your own way of that. So what if you're successful, if you achieve the the everything that you've set out to achieve in, in that in a very large sense, not the yeah. check boxes, but yeah. the actual impact. What's going to be different?
0: So the way I look at it, like the biggest impact that I can make is by helping every coach who chooses to be a coach, be financially free, it will completely transform the profession of coaching. It'll change the industry of coaching. And more importantly, it'll impact the people who coaches choose to take on. And what I mean by, so if you think about like my thing about mental fitness is, is that I believe mental fitness can be in the world in a much bigger way than it is today. And that the vehicle to do that is through our coaches. And so as coaches bring mental fitness into the world, what happens? What happens when we have mentally fit politicians? What happens when we have mentally fit, you know, uh, you know, administrators of schools and who are thinking differently about the entire system or mentally fit healthcare providers who are constantly looking at what's best, not just the bottom line and profitability, but also how can that be sustainable toward the outcomes that we want to see in disease states and longevity and all of those things? There's so many ways that mental fitness can completely transform our planet if we can think about the ways that coaches can deliver that and support the, the right individuals who need it most, who can actually make the biggest impacts. Like it's such a massive ripple effect. But I say it is to make it sustainable. Our coaches need to be financially free. Our coaches not need to do what's right. And from being able to do what's right means they have choice. They have agency. They already do. But like when you have a financial freedom behind you, there's a little more swagger. <laughs> there's a little yeah. more. I'm going to take my time to make this decision because I don't have to have my hand forced. Yeah.
1: Right. No, no, I think that's really true. I mean, there's reality. Like you said, there's times when you yeah. you feel stuck because you're for any number of reasons that I probably don't need to list out for you or anyone listening. And so, yeah, having that that confidence and security is a huge movement towards being able to make decisions from a more empowered place
0: yes and that's that's what finance does right so that's the last this is that, that when you are financially free your choices are no longer about what will make me more money because that's no longer the driver in your life and so so many i, I mean someone who grew up in scarcity my, my as a child at 12 years old my parents were both music teachers. I grew up on the very bottom rung of middle class, like right at that point of poverty, right? Not quite there, but it's really close. And so from someone who had scarcity their entire life, it's so different now when I, I truly can look you in the eye and say, I'm living in abundance. I love who I am and what I'm up to and what I do. And therefore I'm making very different choices because I'm coming from abundance. I'm saying what will serve the world best? What will serve this human best? Like those choices being made in the moment are things that I didn't feel that I had accessible to me as a child, and part of that was, you know, self fulfilling prophecy. By not believing I had them, I lived into that that state, right? So it's a little bit of both, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also I don't know if you're a fan of the hidden brain, I I love it, and he talks about a study they did with farmers in India who get paid once a year, and it's that's how our brains are set up, and then so as the year goes on, their choices become different. Because they get closer to that point where they have less money. And they said it's not, it's why teaching people in poverty, you know, math skills doesn't help. Because it's yeah. actually about having access to resources that changes right. literally how your neurology works. So uh, yeah, it fits. I mean, it really fits. So lots of people, you've been very successful in different ways. And uh, lots of people have had those types of experiences. where They were in scarcity, they've been successful, they didn't feel good. Something in you, created that you took an action to do something about it that was different right like that was a larger than just yours do you have a sense of what was there a moment or a story or something that sparked that for you that you can share
0: do you want the original one like the one that happened as a child or do you want to have one that happened later in life because there's, there's a couple different versions but, of that, of that.
1: One, two, what, what feels most uh up for you in this moment i want to hear where your passion is
0: you know uh Something clicked inside of me. I had it when I was 12 years old and this was like the, the beginning of the trajectory of moving from scarcity to abundance. But what happened was there was one time, literally one time when my mom was she was working her job and, and it was just my brother and I at home. There's just the two of us. She had not had a chance to go to the grocery store and we ran out of food. Now, it happened exactly one time. So think of all the times I, that was a problem. But one time, my brother and I were were really concerned about who was going to get the last can of whatever it was. And we were down to the dregs. It was the stuff nobody wanted. But there it was for sustenance. And in that moment, I I got anchored into scarcity. It's like, oh, there isn't enough. There isn't enough in my life. There isn't. A, there will never be enough. And I can't trust my upbringing. I can't trust my parents. I can't trust anyone's going to take care of me. It's got to be me. And, and I share that with you because it locked in to the place of I am responsible for my own outcomes and nobody else will be responsible for me. In fact, even at 12, I'm thinking I need to not only take care of myself, I need to take care of my brother and my mom, right? So from that perspective, it started that place of I'm going to do whatever it takes. Now, that also is when my hyperachiever kicked into high gear, right? So this is like when I wanted to start doing more and more and more and more and more and more. And more. I, You know, at one point, uh, you know, two years later, I had five jobs. I had like two lawn care businesses that I'd created, a paper out, you know, door to door selling, like all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, taking it out onto a trajectory like that will lead to a heart attack that will lead to a place where you just you, there's never enough. And that's why I said in 2015, when I was ready to take my own life, I had achieved all those things, but I had to reframe it. And so the next part of that story was. How do I switch off of that? So it's one thing to be able to have that determination and that sort of that feeling of grit. But that's what we teach. That's what entrepreneurs are taught. It's like rise and grind, right. man. Just work it out. Work as hard as you can. And when you don't think you can do any more, do more anyway, because that's what it takes to be successful. It's the lie of our culture. And the thing is, it's what creates burnout. It's what creates heart attacks. It creates why, why we are. Most people are type two diabetics because they're eating for pleasure because they have no other time to actually mm-hmm. take care of their physical bodies, you know? So you have all this stuff going on. And so what What the switch then again, the second switch was realizing and seeing how I had it, the scarcity in my life, how much scarcity of everything, scarcity of time, scarcity of resources, scarcity of money. Even when I wasn't scarce, I still felt scarce. And so the second piece of that puzzle that really clicked in was, okay, so what if I've had this all backwards? What if I have more than I ever possibly need? And I started to to train my brain into abundant thinking by starting with me, I am enough. And I put a little post-it note on the window on my my mirror it says I am enough. I put it in my on my whiteboard. I am enough and I, every time I saw it, I just said it to my said it out loud. I am enough. Every time my eyes glanced on it, I didn't just let my eyes wander there. I said I am enough. And as I started to go through this, I started to believe it. And I went from a place of, "Well, that's just something I'm doing to try to, you know, fake myself into what's real to it being real." And then when I really began to believe that I am truly enough, That means I'm enough in all circumstances, just showing up, you know, thinking about this podcast in this moment, like me being here is enough. Yes, there's all this other stuff that we could bring into the space. But like you and I having this moment is what it's about. And whatever comes forth from this is you and I being fully present with each other and having this experience together. And when I can really believe and lean into this is enough, then I can apply it to every other aspect of my life.
1: Yeah, I feel that. Mm -hmm. What made you want to share it with other people?
0: Yeah. To me, such a great question. To me, that's what it's all about. I believe in an interconnected web of existence. I am because you are. That connection for the two of us, like it every listener who's listening right now, we are connected in with these invisible strings, right? They're all interconnected. And the thing that I realize is it is not enough to be individually successful. As long as people out there are suffering and struggling and, and, and having a difficult time in their lives, as long as there's breath in me, as long as I have a heartbeat, my commitment is to help other people to experience what I have. I want to share when I fully, to really break down abundance for me, when I look out into the ocean, you can take as much water out of the ocean as you want. It doesn't do anything. The ocean is still the ocean. It does like I I can, there's no depletion. And that's how I live my life today is that I have enough that I can spend the rest of my life helping other people. And that is my contribution into the world. And the paradox of that, is it I didn't think I could do this until I reached a certain dollar amount or until I reached a certain part of my life, whatever. The paradox is the moment I started doing that, my life be doubled in abundance. It's crazy. It's like, no, no, no. Hold on. What do you mean? Like the idea in my scarcity mind was if I give something to you, I have lost it. Mm. Abundant mindset, it's the opposite. I keep what I have by giving it away. I keep what I have by giving it away. And so every time I spend time here in this moment with you, I am giving so that I can receive. I'm not doing it because of that. That's not my my motivation. But what happens is rather than depletion and experience of depletion, I'm actually experiencing more of what I already have because what's happening is it's doubling back to me. I'm not asking for it. That's not why I do it. But I have seen very, very clearly that the more I give, the more I get. No matter how much I try to give it away, I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't. So there's the paradox that like from a place of scarcity thinking, I have to save everything and I have to be very stingy about it because then otherwise, if I I don't take care of me, no one else will. Mm -hmm. From space, it's the opposite. The more I give away, the more I grow, the more I expand, the more I actually become who I'm meant to be. And the only way that I can be who I am is to give it all away,
1: yeah, that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing
0: yeah, thank you.
1: do you have a maybe an example of that you know respectful of names and places, but of a, something interesting about how how, you, how your work flows with people or the, or what you do
0: when you say that how the work flows with people, do you mean like the supporting them or connecting to them, like what's what, give me a little more. So,
1: so if you're working with someone, yeah, that, I don't know, in, in your one to one or through Positive Intelligence, is there a, like a specific example, something kind of concrete that you can share that gives sort of a and a way for folks listening to get a sense of what that is?
0: Okay, sure, great. Yeah, when I. When I started my ICF certification for coach training, I was taught, you know, about holding space and, and asking powerful open-ended questions and whatnot. And one of the things that was a big aha moment for me was that people wanted something different than what I was offering. And so from a methodology perspective, you know, when I would just purely do the, the traditional ICF coaching standard of holding space, asking powerful questions, like going through that work. What I found was missing was the ability to actually point in directions or support people in their outcomes in a more efficient and effective manner. So I I spent a lot of my early years of coaching just balancing this, threading this needle between where are the most appropriate places to be open-ended and asking powerful open-ended questions and holding space for somebody else to process on their own. And where are the places where it actually is okay to be a little more directive, to be more of a mentor than a coach? And I started to realize there's these nuances here. And so I started to be very upfront with my clients when I started working with them and say, I am both a mentor and a coach, which means there will be times when I, well, you'll want me to be there just to hold space for you and support you in these ways. And I will, probably, I will intuit that and I'll know some of the things and we'll, we'll play that together. But there are other times when you're just going to want to know what's the shortcut. What's the thing that, that was that I'd not seeing? What's in my blind spot? Tell me, right mm-hmm. And that was the thing is that it was really hard for me to like f- understand that there are sometimes people just want to get some insights that they can then take action on. and so it changed me the way I was thinking about this was like what I am most committed to is not the process of coaching. What I am most committed to is the outcome that clients get, mm-hmm. and by, by being most uh, committed to the outcome, I said, what are the most effective strategies? And what are the most uh, effective methodologies to help make sure that outcome is achieved. So if you come to me and you're like, I want to work on, you know, moving from scarcity to abundance as that example, like there there are exercises we can do together that will help you sort of reinforce that. And that's not going to come from open-ended questions and like you trying to figure it out on your own. It's going to come from, hey, let me give you some foundations. Let me give you some resources. Let me tell you where to start to be doing some of that work. The same thing when it comes to financial aptitude, when you think about like, okay, how do I become financially free? there are strategies, there are success, there are books, there are resources, but there's also just how are you doing your daily practices? Like how are you actually practicing abundance on a day in and day out basis? What are some of the things that are there? So what, so I'm sharing this in the way to say, like, I've really started to think more about how do I align with the ultimate outcome that the client wants and that that's my highest priority and that there's lots of methods and there's lots of individual ways to do it. But if I let go of all of that, what is remains is, are they getting their outcome? Are they moving toward their outcome that they've said that they wanted or not? And that's my guiding principle. At any session, in any work, anything that's being done, I keep coming back to that because to me, that's my safe harbor. And so when you have clients for three, four, five years, you start to look at it like, you know, are they continuously getting the outcome they came for? And if not, what do we need to do to change it up in order to get to design that experience to get
1: Yeah, no, I feel that I, I'm very much a, a function before forum kind of gal. Yes. And one of my clients pointed that out and I was laughing because I was just like, nope, it's true. Like, I will only buy a bag if it's going to work for me. Then yeah. we'll see if it matches anything. <laughs> you know it's awesome. Uh, so who typically works with, or who do you typically work with, or who would you say thrives with the service?
0: Yeah. So so for me, what it comes down to is really understanding, I would say my, the, my beginning of my coaching business, it was always about executives. And I was always looking for people who are either entrepreneurs or solopreneurs. And the reason I was going after that is I was always looking for individuals who could actually affect change, not just for themselves, but for the people that they're interacting with. And then that's evolved into working with coaches who that who very much uh, meet that definition. They're solopreneurs, they're entrepreneurs, because they're building their own coaching business. But the difference was, is that they're doing it from a place of um, alignment with my value system, which is different because it used to be, I'll work with any entrepreneur in any business doing anything that they want, you know, because these principles would apply. What's evolved over time was like seeing the nobility of the coaching profession and connecting that back to the same business principles. So while I can work with any entrepreneur and I can work with any, you know, uh, you know solopreneur, the idea of working with coaches specifically to help build and scale and grow their coaching business has become where I've become uh, myopically focused. And the reason why is because it's the ripple effect, helping one coach grow and scale their business helps multiple clients underneath that coach right so they can help the entrepreneurs that, that are not coaches right so that that's where yeah. the hail starts to come from yeah
1: yeah I feel that huh? will you share advice that you've received that has influenced the way you approach your work
0: yeah so it's interesting I, I feel like the the advice the best advice that I've received is to really examine your daily habits or rituals, you know, we can sort of use those words interchangeably. But the thing about it is, is that so many of us focus on uh, the long-term outcomes that we want to have. Like, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? What's the, you know, what 20-year plan? I want to retire by this age, right? But what's interesting is, is that if you don't have the life of your dreams, the place to look is your very morning rituals. Literally, what's the first thing you do when your eyes open? And I'll just give this example for today. It's like if your eyes open and you're like, I want to go back to bed, right? It's like there's not something that's compelling you to get out of bed to be able to like, oh, I'm so excited to be part of this day, right? When you're out of bed, it's like how are you priming yourself to have the best day of your life every single day? So that means like what are the rituals that you do? whether that's like journaling, whether that's, you know, for me, it's uh, the mental fitness training, whether it's like meditation, there's so many different things, exercise, you know, like physical movement with the body. But the idea there is, is that when I take time for myself and I make sure that I'm set up for success, the rest of my day becomes this domino effect of, of, of productivity and, and successfulness because I've really like, I've, I've given myself the space to really be effective in everything else that I touch that day. And then periodically through the day, I'm checking in. Like, am I focused on the things that are most important? You know, when I start to find myself stressed out, it's like, okay, what, what, I know I've put too many things into today. What are the things that I need to take out? What do I need to adjust or change? So that's the real time tinkering that goes on. But essentially the bottom line of this is, is that if you don't like the way your life is this moment and you want to change it look at your rituals, look at your daily practices. Those that, because they're so minor and yet they're so like taken out over time, they're massive. When an airplane takes off, they're off course 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. About that. Like, so they're constantly making micro changes, you know, because of the wind or because of altitude or because what? They're always making these little tiny changes throughout their their flight. So from the time they take off to the time they land, they're off course about 90% of the time. And that's true with our lives too. If you're not making these micro changes and continuously making nuance influences, like, you know, you're not going to le- reach the destination you're committed to.
1: No, that's really true. And I would also say, I'll add to that, the something I've noticed as well is in it. I think it fits well with what you're saying is that folks will think, Oh, someday I will. Like yes. if, when I make $5 million, I'm going to be an amazing philanthropist. And, my assertion is if you haven't, if you don't include giving back in your day to day right now, then you're going to find a way that it's too hard when you have $5 million. Right. So and it is not to say like, once again, people get grandiose. So it's just like, no, figure out right now how you fit that in. What is it? Where Or make space for it, right? If it's a priority, yes. I'm going to do this small thing, whatever it is in my life to, to be in that zone so that as I scale those those parts of my life and my priorities scale with me because ultimately success money they're an amplifier they take right. what's happening right now and they they make it bigger and yep. so if if you're full of you know self-doubt and, and unkindness to yourself you're gonna have bigger self-doubt and bigger unkindness <laughs> right. and so really recognizing that that the answers don't lie out there i i also feel like there's that I love the tension of, of life's paradoxes because you also need to go out and engage and interact and be right. built and challenged. But really, truly, you have to, to start with that solid foundation of being aligned and grounded.
0: Well, and to your point about generosity, it can come so many forms. It can be financial. It could be time. You know, like th- the, the last night we had a massive storm and uh, a big tree branch fell down in our front yard. And I was trying to get my, my uh, chainsaw to work and it wouldn't. It was totally done. So I was like, I'm out there with my son. And we're like cutting down tree branches, and a neighbor just rolled up, pulled out his chainsaw, and started helping us. Like I didn't call him, I didn't ask for his help. He just came up there, and he was just completely—you know—saved us all so much time. And the gratitude was overwhelming for both my son and 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 me. And you know, he really felt it. So even though he was coming there to help us, I know that he felt very, very charged up—a big mm-hmm. experience, right? And so the thing is, it worked for both both of us. Like I was, re- I was receiving. That you know, in that place of of gratitude, and I also uh, he was giving out in a place of like with no looking for anything in exchange, just to be a great neighbor and to help out in that particular moment. It's all around us. The opportunity is always there, and we can be generous in many different levels in our lives. And to your point, if you're not doing it now, you you know the I will be generous when is not going to happen. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, <laughs> it's of- not. Yeah. I, uh- I also find, and, and it, it can be tricky, you can't bypass your own problems, but at the same time, I've often found that like when I feel overwhelmed or there's too much, if I just say, all right, well, who, who can I show up for? Then yes. I come back? My stuff is usually easy, a little yes. easier to handle or I'm just over myself. i like, I'm like oh, who cares about it?
0: You know, when, when people are frustrated and angry and resentful, like all this stuff comes from this place of spending too much time thinking about our own needs and our own self. It's like the minute we start contributing to someone else, it becomes so clear. This is what we're supposed to be doing, right? And then you're right. The, the, the problems either solve themselves, become trivial, or if something else comes out of that exchange that you hadn't been thinking of, and suddenly it makes the problem easy to solve. So yeah. we, I agree with you. It's just like, you know, look at, so, how do I help someone else today? If if yeah. that's the question you're asking, <laughs> like good things will come from it.
1: Yeah, and uh, and at least then something, yeah, I like to get things done. I have a hyperachiever too. So it's like, well, at least I did some, you know?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: I, should, I give thanks with God uh, for me. So uh, so folks that are listening, uh, want to know more. They want to follow you. They want to get in touch. What's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, I, I will say my only social media that I'm active on is LinkedIn. So if there's any type of social media component, you know, Bill Carmody on LinkedIn, it's easy. Um, and my website's BillCarmody.com. And of course, Positive Intelligence, if they want to do the saboteur assessment, you know, go to PositiveIntelligence.com. And it's easy to uh, to do a f- uh, you know five minutes. You can learn about all your uh, top saboteurs and why you're you know uh, you find yourself being challenged doing the things you want to be doing because of the negative self talk in our minds. So that saboteur assessment has been very very life changing for many people who've taken it.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great tool. I highly recommend. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: I really appreciate it.
1: And thanks everybody for listening. I'll see you later.
0: Take care. Okay, let's see do that?